This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. It's 9.35 and welcome to the S&M show. Uh, this is a show about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. I'm Julian Ng and Kusu Chuang joins me as well. The Securities Commission recently unveiled a five-year blueprint to make Malaysia an Islamic financial centre. Our guest today is Manim Salam, President and Fund Manager of Saturna Capital. Manim, welcome again to the show. Thank Uh, you very much for having me. Thanks for uh, joining again. Now, uh, Saturna is a good example of a foreign investor. Uh, that has come to Malaysian shores to take advantage of uh, Sharia investing and uh, the, the kind of ecosystem that we have over here in Malaysia. What do you think about this new blueprint that uh, SC has unveiled? Uh, does Malaysia have what it takes to take on uh, to become the, the leading center for Islamic investing, given that there's, there's so much competition from traditional financial centers like Singapore and Hong Kong and London, Dubai, New York, uh, what have you? Yeah, so I think that, I mean, if you're competing with all these cities that you named um, on a conventional level, I think there's a problem because they've already have established, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, infrastructure and those type of things. But if you look at the Islamic niche, if you want to call it for Islamic finance or Islamic investing, I think Malaysia has um, what it takes. And the biggest thing you need is time. And because they started so early, uh, nobody, unless Malaysia gives up on it, that nobody will be able to catch up on the time that Malaysia has invested in this space. So I think they do have what it takes um, uh, to not only attract the talent like ourselves came, uh, but also to be able to effectively manage it with, with an entire ecosystem, not only of education, training, uh, investing itself, and, and those things. Well, I mean, you, you set up here, I mean, specifically to tap into the Malaysian Sharia market. Um, I mean, what, what, you know, give, given the number of years that you know, Bank Negara has been pushing this initiative, where, where does Malaysia sit on the maturity of the Islamic finance market? Oh, I think it's uh, just far more mature than any other market that's, that, that's out there. Now, again, specifically in relate, relation to, uh, to Islamic investing. Now, there's a lot of uh, um, um, cities that will say, we're doing Islamic here and we're doing Islamic there. But if you really dig deeper down beside, uh, underneath the headlines, what you're going to find is there's no interest structure. There's no tax incentives. Um, there's no ecosystem. Nothing's there. So all of these things Malaysia has built f- to its credit. Wait, which is, you, sorry, which is, more, so which is more important? Is it the regulatory structure or is it the, the clientele or is it the retail structure? What's, what's the appeal here? Uh, I think it's a little bit. So when we came here, we weren't necessarily looking at it from a, from a Malaysian investor perspective. We were looking at it from Malaysia being a springboard to other uh, OIC markets or Organization of Islamic Country Markets. Um, so it's, the regulatory system is very important uh, in the fact that you, we want to have an equal playing field with all the players that are there. And from that sense, the regulatory takes, uh, plays a big role. The other part of it is the incentives that uh, a company is given. So, for example, in, in Malaysia, they set up the MIFC. Um, you know, you can have 100% ownership, you have tax incentives, those type of things. The, you need those type of steps to be able to make sure that companies in, in the initial period of time are not only profitable, but actually can make the investments they need to make to grow this industry. So those are the regulatory carrots. Uh, after you're here, you get uh, to benefit from those incentives. Uh, but can you detail a little bit about uh, the kind of ecosystem that exists for us to be innovative as far as Islamic products are concerned? For example, if you look at the ETF market, uh, which was started here some time back, uh, that, hasn't been really, uh, that hasn't really taken off because we just have a handful of ETFs 
ETFs here uh, listed in Malaysia. And, and I suppose that's related to the lack of ecosystem and lack of infrastructure to, um, uh, to manage our own ETFs here. Do we have uh, the, the same thing for uh, Islamic uh, products, Islamic uh, innovation? So I think that one of the things that's going for the, for the Islamic side is fairly key is the demand side. There is a significant population in, in Malaysia and around the world that specifically is looking for Islamic investing, and they won't take anything else. Um, that's, that provides you with kind of a bottom base to be able to, 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 to build off of. In the ETF market, that might not, might not necessarily be the case. Um, also, remember that ETFs, uh, even though the, the growth really has taken place in the past four or five years, it still took a long time for them to ramp up. People understand the benefits. And there are tax incentives um, in, in the U.S. for ETFs that you might not find in other countries um, that may give them a disadvantage um, to owning ETS versus regular mutual funds or stocks. So, so certainly the uh, Malaysian market here is, is a big market. I mean, I have some numbers here. Malaysia has about 130 billion worth of Islamic assets under management mm. and also is a primary marketplace for global suku issuance yeah. with a 55% market share. But, uh, you know, in order to make that quantum leap, uh, you're talking about the more opulent um, bias in the Islamic world, right? The, the, the Arabs and uh, the, the other people living in other parts of the world, like financial centers in the United States. I mean, we, we didn't even make a bit for Saudi Aramco, which is now uh, gravitating towards uh, New York as, as, as the IPO uh, um, listing market. Singapore tried to attract them. Should we have made more of an effort for, for Saudi Aramco? I mean, you know, we have to, uh, it's, it's good to aim high. But you shouldn't. <laughs> that would have been a little bit too high, in my opinion. I mean, Saudi Aramco's market but, but, cap. But, but why? Because Saudi Aramco's market cap is about four times the size of the entire Malaysian market. And that would have been market. such a great catalyst. But there's no float here. You couldn't, there's not enough investors that you could have drawn and, in. And that, that's exactly my point, right? Uh, will, will the smallness of Malaysian markets stop us from... Uh, becoming that, that leader, that champion uh, in the Islamic market. So I think if you're going to be growing by leaps and bounds, I think that that's going to be a hurdle. But I think if, if you're slow and, st- slow and steady wins the race, then I think we're, we're on the right track. And again, you want to keep in mind is that we're ahead of everybody else when it comes to Islamic uh, investments. So, and and uh, for, for that matter, if you look at New York, why would Aramco choose New York? Because if it's a $2 trillion market cap and, and, then, and, and in the U.S. is $14 trillion of a market cap market, it's a lot easier to, to digest than, than being the four times the size of the entire market. In so, so you think that the, the very opulent, rich uh, Arab investors would come to Malaysia and, and start buying Malaysian uh, Sharia products? So it's, there, there's two folds to that, right? One is, will the opulent Arab come to Malaysia uh, for investments within Malaysia or Southeast Asia? Or would they come to Malaysia because they have an expertise in even global Islamic investments? What I would argue is that Malaysia or even Southeast Asia makes up a very, very small portion of the MSCI world or FTSE world indexes. So if, they, if we're going after only those people who want to invest in Malaysia, that's still a very small pie. My, my thought is let's go after and say we'll do everything Islamic for you from global investments to regional investments, those things, but we'll do it out of Malaysia. Well, my name, you, 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 you know, you voted with your feet, as Julian has pointed out. You, you come to Malaysia, you bought a local firm, you, you have the licenses and infrastructure, you devise your own funds, you've got your, your, your licensing for, for the retail funds. When yeah. you go and sell your product, what are the biggest pushbacks that you get from investors? 
Um, I think that right now it's uh, there's still a lot of skepticism when it comes to Islamic investing. Um, and and remember, if it's you know you have like as I mentioned, there's a there's a core group of people that all they will do is Islamic. But there's a larger group of people that um, are still a little bit skeptical and saying, well, what is it really? And am I really going to make any money? Well, is it a is it a nomenclature issue? Is it a definition issue? Is it a, just a vagueness or just differences of, in opinion between scholar A and scholar B and scholar C? Yeah, that's and, and and to that, and also want to add that uh, recently EPF released some numbers about uh, the tick up for their Sharia account, and they achieved about sixty billion, uh, which which is quite a lot of funds. But their initial allocation was about hundred billion ringgit. So there's kind of that uh, impression of a shortfall there. Yeah. Uh, does this suggest that the, there might not be uh, enough? buy-ins even from the locals so I don't look at it at a sh- let me specifically address the EPF part I have nothing to do with them but I, I wouldn't think of it as a shortfall more than a you know if they set the bar too low then there would have been more demand and they wouldn't have been able to fulfill it so I would rather have them do larger and come in under rather than do smaller and come in over um, from a public perception that that, that matters as well um and then I forgot your first question. Well, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's basically <laughs> the pushbacks, right? <laughs> the pushbacks, oh, yeah, pushbacks, and you yeah. mentioned, you, know, you, you mentioned yeah. convincing investors that Sharia is the way forward. Correct. So it's a performance thing, isn't it? it, it a lot of it has to do with performance and, and you know, the, there's a misperception, right? Because uh, historically there's always been, oh, okay, you have more, uh, more things to screen out and you have to do, uh, you know, have a Sharia board and all of those things. So is there a cost to being Muslim or is there a cost to being Islamic? And the answer is no, there's not. Um, you know, if you look at any kind of industry, in, in, uh, index, conventional versus Islamic over the long run, what you're going to find is certain periods of time the convention is going to outperform, the other times the Islamic is going to outperform. Over time, they all come out to be statistically neutral. And what is the major difference? It's banking. That means when banks do well, the the Islamic indices do poorly. And when banks do poorly, the Islamic indices do well. But that's, I guess that's a a strange relationship for investors to to digest because banks usually do well when economies are prospering and even on the recovery track. So does that mean that statistically over the long term, you know, Sharia might suffer because banks will always do well, more more often than not at least? Uh, Chuang, I I would like you to hold that that thought uh, because uh, coming up next we'll look at uh, more into Sharia investing, especially uh, the convergence between uh, ESG investing or uh, corporate governance investing with Sharia. Sharia Investing. You're listening to the SM Show and uh, you're with Julian Ng and Kusu Chuang. And our guest today is Munim Salam, uh, the uh, CEO and President of Fund Manager of Saturna Capital, BFM 89.9. You're listening to the SM Show, a show that's all about what's working and what's not in stocks and markets. I'm Julian Ng together with Kusu Chuang. And our guest this morning is Munim Salam, President and Fund Manager of Saturna Capital. We're discussing SE's uh, five year blue print to make Malaysia a leading international Islamic financial center. Um, Munim, earlier on, we were asking you about uh, the kind of pushbacks that exist. And I think Chuang also put forward the question of, uh, you know, uh, what is the attraction of investing in uh, the the Islamic way? And we've covered this before, uh, but can you just uh, quickly go through for us uh, a summary of why one should uh, take up in Islamic investing. So, I mean, like I said, there's a, there, there's a pro, there's an issue with um, the, the the small segment of the market that only wants the Islamic part. That's the easy kind of low low hanging fruit. Uh, the middle of the market, really, all they're looking for is: Are you stable? Are you a, a you know legitimate company? And can you make me the returns um, that the market's offering? Um, and, and in that segment, I think we do have uh, uh, evidence to show that yes, we can make the uh, the returns that anybody else can. And possibly even better, based on active management. 
Um, so it's it's more the second part of it is you know are you legitimate or not? And that's basically in the investment world, it's all a matter of time. And you can't hurry time, right? So it, it will take time for us to be able to say, look, we have a track record. We've been around for such, such a long time, those type of things. Now, for Saturna, we've been in van- uh, managing Islamic assets since 1986. So that's almost 30 years that we're talking about. So we can say, uh, um, and anecdotally but also with proof, that we have been able to outperform the indexes. We have had non, uh, um, non-conventional money that's coming into our funds purely based on performance. And so you, you mentioned corporate governance uh, in uh, earlier on. Yeah. Are you suggesting that uh, Sharia-approved companies or Sharia-status companies have higher corporate governance? Um, n- 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 I don't think there's a direct linkage uh, that's there right now. Um, I think that that's what Malaysia is trying to push towards is the, the, the balance between both Sharia and uh, and, and, and corporate governance or ESG screening. Uh, what happens, just to give you an idea, what, what the Islamic industry has been focused on when it comes to investing is what do we cannot invest in. So we cannot invest in alcohol, we cannot invest in banking or gambling. Casinos. That Casinos, yeah. that type of thing. Now what we're looking at is what we can invest in, what we should be investing in to make, make, make better investments. Well, I mean, you know, stock markets around the world are on the recovery trend. Malaysia's stock index is up, you know, beyond 1,700 points convincingly. You know, some, some might say that with the markets recovering as it is and um, all this euphoria surrounding Trump, Sharia is not the place to be in right now from a returns perspective. Um, so, again, it's a more a matter of, again, looking at investments for the long term. In the short term, you might be right. There might be time periods when Sharia doesn't perform. But if you look at it from a perspective of, look, Sharia is looking for companies that are not highly indebted. Right, safer investments. They're looking for companies that, that uh, possibly have an extra, uh, uh, um, you know, scrutiny on them from a Sharia perspective. So these are the types of things that you might be able to reduce your risk, so that those blowups in, in the portfolio don't happen, and over long run you would be able to make money. But I think something ha- also has to be said about the uh, growing ESG movement, and uh, ESG is becoming a very major category in investing. Um, will this convergence of Sharia with uh, ESG uh, bring in the money flow and, and make an impact uh, to Malaysia as an Islamic financial center? So I think that's the hope, and I, yeah. I, th- I, I do agree that I think this is the right direction to go. Um, purely from an Islamic investment industry perspective, also, as I mentioned, you know, we we need to get away from the what we don't do to the idea of what we do do. And I think that's what's, 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 uh, what's driving uh, the, this convergence. Um, Europe is doing it. The uh, uh, U.S. is catching up to even Europe because Europe is much, much leading. And I think um, now would be the right time to put a stake in the ground for Malaysia to say we are going to be a player in, in the space, very similar to what they did very, very early on in the Islamic investing area. Can you name some of these examples of uh, is, uh, Islamic uh, or ESG-based investments in Malaysia? Like, uh, what, what companies will fulfill that tag? Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So I, I don't want to give any specific uh, names, um, but I think if you look at, for example, indexes, uh, or the FTSE for Good is one of them, they actually do have screening criteria that will, t- uh, will, will show you um, what companies are doing good as far as ESNG, which is Environmental, Social, and Governance. Okay, so Saim Dhabi. Saim Dhabi would be one of those very big names. Yeah. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Saim Dhabi is a Sharia status stock, but is also one of the largest plantation companies in Malaysia. 
what, I think we've discussed this before. What's your view uh, on plantation again? And would you buy a plantation sh- stock? Because while a plantation is Sharia, uh, it's not necessarily ESG. Right. So um, again, de- depending on... So a lot of times what you want to look at is ESG doesn't look at what you're doing now, but what you're going to be doing to improve in the future. That's, that's where we are as far as the ESG industry is concerned. When it comes to plantation companies, generally you would say, yes, they probably wouldn't fall or they would fail the environmental screen. Um, but you also have to look at it and bifurcate between the mature companies versus the newer companies. Um, the newer companies have uh, uh, you know, are still rainforest land that they have to destroy to build the plantations. That, you can argue, is pretty not very environmentally friendly, whereas a more mature company has already done the damage. If you're investing in now, you're not part of that damage. <laughs> well, by, by the guys who have already done the damage. <laughs> so people, you know, investors might have a difficult time trying to get their heads around the classification and the constantly evolving definitions. Um, you know, if you were based in Malaysia and you had to invest in Malaysian stocks, there'll be quite a lot of sectors that you can't get involved in, sure. whether it's gaming or banking or construction or, or plantations. Sharia, yes, but sustainable no maybe not or environmental so i mean that would preclude you from a lot of the growth stocks in the region uh, in in the country so what can you invest in so i mean again it's a balance of of your morals with your, with with the growth um i think and, and you have to make a, an ethical choice what what you want to do uh and nobody will argue that but that's the trouble you see, Monique. No, eth- eth- ethics don't necessarily translate to performance. No, that's, that's true. But at the end of the day, uh, if you're going to be sacrificing 20% versus 19%, do ethics come into play? One, 1%. 1%. Well, compounded over the long term. That's the question that you have to ask yourself. And so, yes, compound over long term, it would, it would make a difference. But again, it's a personal choice. And so what the ESG offers is, look, this is another way of investing. And that 1% difference, I'll tell you, the ESG cover your downside more than they hurt your upside. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you look at uh, you know, uh, Volkswagen when they come out with their diesel scandal or, or B, B, uh, British Petroleum when they had the spill and those type of things, those, when you look at the ESG screens, sometimes can tell you that some, there's something wrong and you should avoid these companies. And also, I, I think you've got to look at it. Uh, you can't look at returns in isolation, right? Uh, right. Uh, because uh, some of these ESG investments might provide you the same kind almost of returns, but with much less volatility and much le- less risk. That's right? correct. That's yeah. correct. So I, I know you're not uh, supposed to be a gambling man yeah. uh, being, being uh, involved in Islamic investment, but I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Uh, $130 billion in Islamic assets right now in five years' time under this blueprint. Uh, what kind of AUM will you see in the Islamic market? I mean, I think because we're going after a larger market uh, pool and because we're going to continue the momentum of, of this area, I could easily see this at about 500 500, half a trillion ringgit. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an extremely strong growth and uh, it bodes well for the growth of Malaysian products uh, in Islamic banking as well as uh, uh, Malaysia's status as an Islamic financial center. Monim, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the SNM Show. My pleasure. And that was our guest for the SNM Show today, Monim Salam, President and Fund Manager of Saturna Capital. Joining, joining us today on the SNM Show, I'm Julian Ng together with Kusu Chuang on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.